Amen. Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. As Pastor Daniel said, my name is Crawford Stevener, and I'm the RUF campus minister at Duke. Uh, As is the custom of this church, let's stand for the reading of God's Word and give attention to the Word He has for us this morning. Uh, We'll read it, and then I will pray, and we'll begin. It's printed in your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. Lamentations, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove it into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You may be seated. Let me pray one more time before we begin. Our great God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have given us this word this morning. It is a bitter word, but one that is without hope. As Pastor Daniel said, we don't know where everybody is coming from in this room this morning, but you have brought us here and you have given us your word so that we can receive it, so that we can hear it, and so that we can be changed by it. You promise, Lord, that your word does not return void, that it does not come back to you empty, but it always accomplishes its purpose. So I pray, God, by your spirit and by your word, you will accomplish that purpose in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it was about a year ago I read the book The Road by Cormac McCarthy. It's a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. And McCarthy is a famous contemporary novelist. He wrote books like 
uh, All the Pretty Horses and No Country for Old Men. Many of his novels have been turned into movies because he's a great storyteller and there's very vivid and graphic imagery. But this uh, book, The Road, opens with a scene that reminds me of Lamentations chapter 3. The sky is gray. There's fine ash and dust in the air. Uh, There is no sun. It's completely blotted out. And there's a desperate man pushing a shopping cart that's rickety with a broken wheel. And he's scavenging this desolate countryside looking for food, shelter. Uh, He's hiding from dangerous vagabonds and ruffians on the road. And there is almost no hope whatsoever in the book except for a young child sitting in the shopping cart whose future hangs in the balance in this post-apocalyptic world. And it's one, if you haven't read it, it's one of these really stressful books that you sort of want to put down, but you can't put down, and you just keep turning the pages and you're white-knuckling the whole way through. Well, the author of the book of Lamentations, of which the scripture passage we just read this morning was most likely the prophet Jeremiah, who also wrote the larger book in the Old Testament called Jeremiah. And many biblical scholars and people have referred to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet because God put him in some very, very difficult situations. And in this story, Lamentations chapter 3, it it might be autobiographical, describing Jeremiah as the man walking through this sort of post-apocalyptic wasteland. The city, uh, Jerusalem, in very near literal terms, has just experienced the apocalypse. Jerusalem, the jewel of the crown of God's kingdom in the Old Testament, has just been destroyed ransacked, burnt to the ground by a barbaric army from Babylon. And the title of the short book, Lamentations, gives us an indication of the emotion that this man, as a representative of his people, are feeling. Lament, weeping. It's a time of grief. It's a time where there is no hope, where all hope seems to have faded away. And in moments like these, we're forced to wonder, is God real? Are his promises untrue? God who loved his people, Israel in the Old Testament, Jerusalem, the most important place of God's presence, would he really let this foreign nation bring it to rubble? It's hard not to imagine the people of South Texas, as we read this passage this morning, that have just been completely devastated by Hurricane Harvey. I'm sure you've seen the pictures, maybe received text messages from loved ones of people and canoes wandering through the city, looking at their homes, businesses, historic landmarks completely submerged by the awesome power of water. My aunt and uncle and cousins and grandmother all live in Houston, and we've been receiving text messages of generational family heirlooms that are buried under feet of water, unsalvageable, 
Some of you are probably from South Texas. Some of you know or were born in Houston or have friends and family in that area. Others of you have survived other traumatic events like this, natural disasters. Maybe you have connections to the Louisiana area or the Gulf Coast back when Hurricane Katrina happened. Maybe tornadoes have touched your community. And others of you maybe haven't experienced a natural disaster like this, but you've been a survivor of, some, of a completely different kind. You've been a survivor of some other kind of trauma, some evil, some injustice that was thrown upon you that you didn't ask for, but that made you wonder, is there really a God? Is he real? Are his promises true even today? And some of you this morning are in the middle of it now. And whether it be some external circumstances that's been thrust upon you or whether it's the inner turmoil and the storm of your heart, you're feeling that moment of despair, that moment of crisis, and you want to lament, you want to cry. And the book of Lamentations is a gift of God, from God to his people, for times such as these. It's amazing that this book, that this chapter is even in the Bible, isn't it? That God actually instructs his people on how to grieve, on how to be angry, on how to cry, and how to do so without losing hope. And Lamentations chapter 3 is not a message exclusively for those that are currently in the wasteland. It can be a warning shot of preparation to stock the pantry of your heart before the storm hits. It can be a guide and an instruction on what it looks like to walk along somebody else that has just gone through the wasteland. Someone in your city group, somebody in your prayer group, somebody in your family that's feeling this. And for you to be a counselor that can walk alongside them and show them the truth. Show them what God says about this. So what do you do when you walk through the ashes? How do you move yourself toward hope? How do you continue to worship, even at a place like this on Sunday morning, when you feel like God has forgotten us? It's questions such as these to which this passage speaks. In the first 18 verses of the uh, section of Scripture we just read are very, very difficult to read. Uh, if you look at some of the phrases on them, there's this man walking around a city and he's experiencing darkness and wasting away and he speaks of bitterness and he says he's like, he's like the dead of long ago and God has forsaken him. And in verses 7 and 8 he says, my chains are heavy. And he says, I call out for help, but God has shut me out. I'm crying, but there is no answer. In verse 14, he says, I'm a laughing stock of all people. Everyone's looking at me and laughing. He says his teeth are grinding like gravel. His soul has no peace. He's forgotten what happiness even is. His endurance has perished and so has his hope. Obviously, this man is in a very dark place. In verse 1, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction. So what is it that we learn from peeking in to this man's situation 
and a real event that God has given us in the scriptures. How do we keep this from being some, cor- some sort of voyeuristic exercise where we're looking in on a sufferer? Why did God give us this story? Well, one of the very obvious implications is that the followers of God, if you follow Jesus, you are not excluded from suffering. God never says that. Do you know this? Do you know that in the story of Christianity or in this call to discipleship or in this idea of being one in Christ and walking with him, that that God never says you're signing up for a life free of trouble? If you've uh, ever turned on the TV and looked at late night TV preachers, maybe in a hotel room or maybe in the comfort of your own bed, and you hear some sort of message that says, if you send in some money, or if you follow God, or you listen to me, then all of your problems will go away. Well, that's a lie. God never says that. The Bible never says that. In fact, the opposite is what the scripture teaches. It says that the servant is not greater than the master, and if Jesus suffered, his people will suffer too. In all of human history, people have been killed for following Jesus. There was an ancient church father named Tertullian who in the first few centuries was writing about the Christians and he was noticing all these Christians that were dying for their faith in Jesus and what he said was that the blood of these martyrs was the seed of the church. What he said was that through affliction and suffering, through following Jesus and experiencing tribulation and maintaining hope and even dying for Jesus is actually what birthed the church, is actually what propagated the kingdom of God. And this actually hasn't changed, believe it or not. Sometimes we're shielded from it in America. The statistics, uh, I went to a missions conference recently, are that one Christian every hour dies for his or her faith in Jesus. So that means one or two folks have died for following Jesus since you've been here. So try telling a Christian in North Korea or in Iraq, that if you follow Jesus, your problems are going to go away. Uh, There's a student in our ministry at Duke uh, that comes from a family uh, from Egypt, and she's part of a long line of Coptic Christians, and they have a church here in the area. And every time there's a news feed that comes across from that part of the world about a radical Islamic terrorist group, ISIS, cutting off people's heads with swords, it's usually in Egypt. And those are her people. And those are her family. And she gets quiet. And she weeps. And she reminds me that it's okay to weep over injustice and the brokenness in this world. When God puts you in a place of hardship or trial, it doesn't mean that Christianity is untrue. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. And this is really one of the great lessons, one of the great blessings to me that interacting with the African-American church has told me. That just because you suffer doesn't mean God is not good. Just because you're exposed to systemic injustice or racism or if there is, just because there, there appears to be no hope, that doesn't mean there is no hope. And we need to hear that. There are very few 
African-American atheists. Statistically. You realize when people talk about religion is going down, Christianity is going away in the West, it's talking about upper-class white people, that the faith is sort of growing in other demographic pockets of our country. Suffering does not mean God is not real. The passage shows us that faithful followers of Jesus don't just smile through pain. It's not wrong, it's not unholy to be sad, to hurt, to weep, or to lament. You might need to hear that this morning. The truth is that affliction can actually be a good thing. The psalmist says in 119, it is, it's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn God's statutes. It's in times of despair where we are driven to Christ. We have nothing else. So what does this man do as he walks through the rubble, as there is no hope? As he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he turns to the Lord. He says in verse 21, if you want to look at it in your handout, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And this is a total game changer in the life of following Christ. You've heard those verses. You've sung those verses, many of you. But you may have not known the context, that it's a man walking around his city in destruction. You see, God is constant. He never changes. That even when the buildings are falling down, his character is fixed. He's, he's not like us. We're whimsical. We change our minds all the time. Have you ever tried to pick out a color of paint for your living room? Have you ever drove in somebody at Home Depot crazy behind the counter because you can't understand which shade of blue you want? You know how quickly your mind can change. God's not like that. When everything else around is shaking, God is standing firm. His mercies are there every day, always. I mentioned I'm the RUF campus minister at Duke. One of my favorite things about being a minister with RUF is every December, all of the RUF campus ministers across the country get together for what we call staff training, where we pray and encourage each other. And they recently have moved our location to Denver, which is more central uh, for the, across the country for us to fly into. And our hotel that we stay in is a, is a little north of the city. And as you make your way up to the hotel, uh, you can, most of the hotel rooms have some kind of view. And off in the distance, you can see the Rocky Mountains. And as I was imagining what, it's look like, what does it look like for God's mercies to be new every morning, I was thinking about every morning when I wake up in that hotel room, you can throw open the curtains. And off in the distance, you can see the Rocky Mountains. And whether it's Monday or Tuesday, you open up the curtains and the mountains are still there. And whether it's a federal holiday like tomorrow or whether it's uh, a special time of year, no matter what, it's still there. No matter what's happening in the world, whatever's happening in the news cycle, no matter if it's gray or dark or it's a thunderstorm and you can't even see the mountain, it's still there. And that's what it looks like to know that God's mercies are there every morning. If you're suffering, hope in God. He's constant. His mercies are new every day. 
Now, verse 22 is the first time that the Lord's name is used in the passage. Before that, it's the man describing everything he's experiencing, all of the woe, all of the frustration, all of the brokenness he feels. And finally, in verse 22, the Lord's name is mentioned. And guess what happens? Hope comes in. Hope comes with Jesus. You maybe can experience this if you've ever been suffering. Maybe this has happened to you recently. When somebody tries to comfort you, but the comfort they give just doesn't really work. Thinking about you college students when you say, well, if I don't pass this next uh, exam, I'm going to go on academic probation. And when you tell your friends, what do they say? It'll work out. It'll be fine. And you're like, no, seriously, like the dean has told me I'm going home if I don't pass this exam. They're like, that's yeah, all right. It'll be fine. And it just drives you crazy. And maybe, maybe you've experienced this recently with sending off for medical test results, right? If the number comes back and it's lower than this or higher than this, surgery or something far worse. And you tell a friend and they say, everything happens for a reason or it'll work out or don't worry about it. And of course, these people have good intentions and it is hard to walk alongside somebody that's suffering. Oftentimes we don't have the words. But so frequently we try to give solace outside of Jesus when there really is no hope but in God. What do you really need to know to find real comfort? Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I love the way that uh, the writer says, this I call to mind. Because remembering and believing the gospel is not some sort of passive knowledge. It's not like learning how to tie a figure eight knot or being able to back up a trailer. Like that's not what knowing God looks like. It's not encyclopedic. It's not a skill. It's a a relationship. To really know God, to invest in this relationship, to bring it to mind. When you're in grief, you need to remember the truth. You need to remember God's grace, God's mercy, and the gospel. And you need people. You need godly counselors. You need pastors. You need a city group, which you should sign up for, to tell you the truth of God's grace. I've actually noticed uh, this concept shared with some of our students. Uh, In every Pixar movie I've watched recently with our kids, we have three young daughters, and so we've seen a lot of Pixar. And, and particularly in the Finding Nemo series or Finding Dory, Dory, who suffers from short-term memory loss as a blue fish, if you don't know, and she swims around, and she's a funny character, also a tragic one. And in the mornings when she wakes up, when she's a child, she will swim off, and she can't find her home because she suffers from short-term memory loss. So her parents, what do they do? They set out all these purple shells around their house so that she knows if she doesn't know where she is, she can just follow the purple shells because they're shiny and purple and she wants to follow them anyways and that leads them back home. And later in life when she's grown up, she has this little mantra, just keep swimming. If she doesn't know what to do, she should just keep swimming and just keep swimming and just keep swimming. This is true. You can do this with almost any Disney movie, actually. Like Inside Out with Riley, she has these core memories. And these core memories are something that when life gets hard, when the, when the chaos of the world sort of comes at her, she has this bank of things that she can draw upon to find strength and hope. 
Well, there's a Christian version of, these, of, the, of this idea. The gospel is our sort of core identity, the song, the mantra that we need to be chanting to ourselves and to each other and singing as, as Christ's body is the gospel. Is just to keep swimming. Is keep swimming in God's grace. Keep knowing him. Keep calling it to mind. It's active. Remember Jesus. This is the whole history of the Old Testament. God's people are wandering away because they forget. They're a forgetful people. And God calls them back. And he calls them back. So, so who in your life is calling you back to the gospel, to the truth, to who Jesus is and what he's about? Are you making time for him? Are you making places where God, in your schedule, where God can speak to you? Do you ever read the Bible on your own? Do you ever read the Bible with some of your friends? When you hang out with your Christian friends, do you just talk about life or do you talk about Jesus? When you're suffering, you sort of have to put one foot in front of the other, right? Just keep swimming. And you know what's fascinating about this passage? You, you, you don't see it in the English. In the Hebrew, this passage was originally written in Hebrew. That's what most of the Old Testament is written in. And in Lamentations chapter 3, this is a Hebrew poem. And it's an alphabet poem. It's an acrostic. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's like Dr. Seuss, like big A, little A, what begins with A? Ant, Annie, alligators, A, A, A. Like, and then it goes to the B. Like, that's, that's what this is. This is an ABC poem. And you would never know if you read it in English. Well, the reason I bring that up, why? Why, why is this man walking through a city that's in ashes writing a poem based on the alphabet? Why does a sufferer write a poem? My brother J.R. knows. It's an attempt to bring order to a chaotic world. And that's what the gospel does. It brings order to a chaotic world. That's actually what Jesus did. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says that Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held onto, that he left this sort of perfect heavenly realm where he lived in fellowship with his Father, and he left it all, and he came down to the broken world to bring healing to it, to redeem it, to fix it. He brought order to the chaos, and he's still doing that, one foot in front of the other, inch by inch, through his people today. The answer to suffering is not to avoid it. It never has been and it never will. It will touch all of us in some way. We don't get to choose how. The answer then, if not to avoid suffering, is to make the Lord your portion, to center your life around Jesus, to remember the ABCs of the gospel to bring to mind that God's mercies are new every morning, and if that's not you, then to be bringing to mind God's mercies to someone else that needs it. If you aren't in the middle of it, we need to be prepared for it. If you're not in the middle of it, we need to be supporting those that are. And if you are in the middle of it, it's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. And it's okay to long and to cry out to God and say, where are you? And to remember that you have hope. Because the weather changes, but God does not. He's constant. He's like a mountain. So bring it to mind. 
this morning. Bring it to mind this week. Bring it to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is a heavy word from you. I pray, Lord, that it is a word of hope, is a word of mercy, that though we walk in a world that is full of trouble, though we experience great pain and sorrow, you are with us. And God, we pray for your mercies to be real and to be held on to and to be cherished by those in this room that feel like their teeth are grinding on gravel. Save us, heal us, redeem us. Thank you, Jesus, for getting your hands dirty, for leaving perfection to come here to redeem us and to give us hope. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.